This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 378. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'll be rather brief here today. I am still technically on holiday and enjoying this season with my family, but uh, taking a quick break here to record this intro for a special interview that I had the pleasure of doing together with the CEO of Lucid Optics, Mr. Jason Wilson. I was able to connect with him at the 2019 Ballistics Summit at the Whittington Center in uh, northern New Mexico, Raton, New Mexico, uh, where uh, he, he and his company hosted this great event to not only showcase their products, but also to put on some teaching instruction, particularly as it relates to shooting long range. I had a great time, and I'm so appreciative to Jason and his team for everything they did to put together the Ballistic Summit, and I look forward to hopefully a 2020 Ballistic Summit. That should be a great time. Well, with that, this episode is brought to you and sponsored by Lucid Optics. So head on over to lucidoptics.com to learn about their full lineup of optical products. They have actually have some other things too that are non-optics related, which is kind of interesting to look into. I'll just sort of bury the lead on that one and let you uh, let your curiosity get the best of you and let you go check things out there. But I was really impressed with the quality of the glass that we shot for the weekend there at the summit. So really great quality product. But here's the thing, they don't rake you over the coals for price. So really high quality product for a very reasonable price. I think if you're in the market for a new optic, Lucid Optics is a great place to look. Check them out. So, Plus, they're a great American company here based in Wyoming, which should make Jacob very happy, and <laughs> which I think is fantastic. They are hunters. They are shooters. They know their stuff, and they really care about making a quality product and bringing it to you. And we really appreciate all of you out there for your support also of us here at ConcealedCarry.com, your support of our online store and everything that we have to offer there on the site. So thank you. Without you, it wouldn't be possible to do what we do and to continue to bring this podcast to you. So thank you so very much. Again, uh, it's a, actually the day after Christmas, but still a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of you out there. I hope you enjoy this interview together with Jason Wilson. It's a little bit of a different uh topic or content than what we normally have on the podcast, but I thoroughly enjoyed talking about some things that are different from the usual here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. So enjoy, take a listen, and have a great rest of your holiday season. Hey folks, welcome back. Uh, this will be, I, I think, our third and final interview from the Ballistic Summit 2019 put on by Lucid Optics, and I am sitting with Mr. Lucid Optics. I couldn't get that out of my mouth very well. I am sitting here with Jason Wilson. Hi, guys. What's going on? (laughs) How are you doing, man? Good. Yeah. Jason, of course, is the CEO of Lucid Optics and uh, put on a nice little uh, get-together here this weekend, and we're having a great time meeting people, uh, eating good food, which is a lot of it cooked, or maybe, I guess all of it maybe is- All of it's home cooked. All of it's cooked by- Mrs. Wilson, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're shooting guns. Lots and of them. learning how to shoot and run your optics and put hits on targets at some pretty good distances, even. So you've spent some days on the range with some of the optics and some of the various instructors we have working that that kind of show stuff off. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been not uh, as much active on the ranges as I normally am because I have guys that are supporting me this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a takeaway. 
How's it been presented for you? Uh, you've seen how we do things just a shade differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what we, we try and do is run down the middle of the ground, and the quality control mm-hmm. is on the high end. Mm-hmm. As far Middle ground as far as price point, high end mm-hmm. quality control, trying to keep everything uh, with the same brand perspective that we started out as. Yeah. Has, has that carried over into what you've been shown on the range? Yeah, I think so. Good. I mean, I've been really impressed. Uh, really impressed with, uh, I'll tell you, and it's not even your highest end optic, I guess, if you're just going strictly off of price, nor your newest optic, but the one I've spent the most time behind this weekend that I've come away really liking, I think, is is it the L5 that's the 16 to 24? Oh, the the 6 to 24. Yeah, the L5. Or, did they say that right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's 6 to 24. Se- yeah. yeah. Second focal plane, minute-based mm-hmm. rifle mm-hmm. scope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, so most of the rifles I've been on have had that on it. And uh, it's just stupid easy. We, yeah. We, <laughs> so before we even started the process of assembling glass, we went to the concept of what do we do as shooters? How do we send a projectile downrange? What is it we're asking of that to do? Mm-hmm. And then we looked at the calibers from 22 long rifle all the way out to 338 Lapua. And what we discovered is the ballistic curve is relatively different. It just happens at different yardages. Mm-hmm. And so we built a reticle that capitalized on that ballistic curve. So, for example, that L5 has a MOA measuring tape built into it. Mm-hmm. Those increments are two minutes apart on 24, right? That makes it pretty easy to place a shot because your ballistic profile then breaks up very, very nicely. As you saw today, that uh, the, the little over 300-yard target fell right at the second yep. stadia. So that's four minutes down. Mm-hmm. The... 400 yard sell the third stadia. Yep. The 500 yard fell at the fourth stadia. And that was up to 529 yards, I think. Yeah. And you didn't have to dial. You didn't have to mess with your turret. The reticle did everything you needed it to do. Yep. And then we showed you how you take advantage of the second focal plane by backing off the magnification. Right. And putting it to 18, holding the post. And reaching to 1,125 yards. Yeah. So with a second focal plane, you can tune that reticle to your ballistic curve. Um, For example, on my 26 Nosler, my hunting rifle, Mm. I set it at 21 and a half. With that same 100 yard zero, those increments now become very useful for me. Mm. 250, 350, 450, down the string, all the way out to 1,100 yards in the reticle without having to touch my turrets. Yeah. So all that I do at this point in a hunting situation is range it and shoot it. Yeah. Well, and it really contributes to being able to put accurate hits on target quickly. I like quick. I like fast. I like simple. You know, uh, I don't have to sit there and go, okay, all right, you know, dial six MOA up, you know, on the turret. It just, you know, I don't need math. I don't even need a chart in front of me as long as I kind of have a basic understanding of, which is not hard to do. If you spend a lot of time on, on a particular, with a particular gun, particular low, particular optic, you learn, you should learn very quickly where those are at, know your yardages, and you can take a shot. And it makes it simple. Like you said, mm-hmm. you can dial if you want to. The turrets, they run square and they track just fine. But if you don't need to mess with your zero, don't. Mm-hmm. I understand the guys that want to dial because they want to use the, the full field view and sure. and take the guesswork out of, of holding over and just use their regular crosshairs. But we build ballistic compensating reticles for a reason. Mm-hmm. Use them. Yeah. There's no reason to dial if you don't have to. Yeah. Speaking of which, you said they, they run square. Could you explain that for people as far as like some of – that's something I, th- I don't think a lot of shooters, particularly just – 
I, I hate to say casual hunters, but there are a lot of Americans out there that hunt, right? And they have optics. Not every optic is created equal. Sure. Right. I, so if you could expound on that a little bit. I completely agree. So when I talk about reticle running square by the turret motions, right. um, windage and elevation. So elevation up, down, windage left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you make an increment adjustment on the L5, for example, when you make those clicking moves on the turret, the reticle is moving an elevation up or down, right. straight square, up and down. Um, so directly top to bottom. Um, in some optics, you'll get at a certain portion of the travel where the it'll J to a little bit of a windage in that same elevation turret market. And that's an issue because now you're affecting windage as much as your elevation. Mm-hmm. Same thing when you run windage. It should run square, straight, left, right, and never gain elevation or lose elevation in the adjustment yeah. range. Yeah. So we have a mechanisms that run straight square and keep it from having that jang kind of compounded motion mm-hmm. if you will yep so and they have to if you're going to make a precise just, uh, measurement yeah. it's just you can't do it without it and the way i understand that is you know if a shooter was to get a new scope and, and rifle if they wanted to check this for themselves uh, you could take kind of one of your typical sight in targets at 100 yards where you got the bullseye in the center and you got the four smaller dots or bullseyes in the corners and get it zeroed in for that center part of the target and you should be able to dial down to that left corner you know lower left corner dial it up to that upper left upper right yeah what you're right, describing and come back to the center and it um, should all come back you know true right yeah and what you're describing is a functional box test yeah um, now I don't counsel novice shooters to attempt to do this test because it requires very mature mechanics and a a very evolved sense of accuracy from the shooter's perspective. Because when you make a motion and you expect it to move, say, two minutes up, two minutes right, Mm -hmm. and there's a grid on the paper, Mm -hmm. and you place that shot and then it prints two and a half minutes high and two minutes right, Mm -hmm. that half minute high... It's very easy to blame on the optic when it wasn't the optic. It was right. the shooter's issue, not right. the glass. So unless you are a half-minute shooter, which means you can consistently place all your shots within a half-minute group, um, box testing is probably not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, leave that to the guys that, that you know develop this stuff and do this for <laughs> a living. Um, all too often, I'll get guys that call in after they attempted to do a box test and claim that you know the scope's, the scope's not running. Like it should. Um, obviously, through a customer service evolution, we want to see that one back. And we want to test it to make sure that it is. And in, in a little over 10 years of making optics do this type of thing, I've never had one not track. Mm. Um, wow. I've seen probably two or 300 back from customers because they claimed it didn't track. But I've never had the mechanics of the optics fail. Mm. So, again, I did. if you're going to okay. go and try so, the So, don't test, go do that because we don't want to be sending optics back to Jason. <laughs> bring them back. I love to see them. I love to have the contact with my customers. I love to have the discussion. But it's always mm. delicate because they want to blame the equipment sure. when it's not necessarily the equipment. Well, it's really easy to do. I mean, I see it even with pistol shooters, right? Where, I mean, as simple as uh, I'll have students online. Right, and they're shooting, and I'll see that one shooter sometimes is just consistently grouping low or low left or something like that, 
and I'll watch them. And usually I can spot and see what they're doing. But uh, occasionally there'll be times where it just seems like they're getting more and more frustrated with not being able to hit the center of the target. And I'll be like, all right, so you're convinced now at this point, I could tell that it's your sights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be my sights because, you know, I never shoot this bad or whatever. You know, it's like, okay, let me see your gun. (laughs) And I don't think I've been proven wrong yet as far as, I mean, most defensive handguns, you got a Glock 43 on. Most defensive handguns from factory with basic sights generally are pretty much dialed in. Sometimes there's a little bit of a, you know, difference here and there, but... Uh, what I find most of the time is it's shooter error, not sights, not optics. Well, there's so many variables what we're talking about here. Yeah. We're talking about accuracy when it comes to a firearm. Um, ammunition plays. Um, the firearm plays. The shooter plays in a multitude of ways. Um, even in, in a rifle, how you grip the gun. Mm-hmm. The way that you execute the trigger press. Um, the way that you have follow through. Mm-hmm. Um how you stand or how you sit, how you lay, how you manage that recoil on the rifle, how you affect the rifle during lock time. All of these are operator variables. They're not mm-hmm. this is our mechanical variables. They don't come from the gun. So when we're talking about an accuracy issue, there are so many things way more likely to cause an accuracy issue than the actual equipment itself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's talk about a few of those things. Now, this is the Concealed Carry Podcast, but we're deviating from our normal, normal, regularly scheduled, uh, you know, content and and programming. Uh, let's talk about some of the kind of long range stuff uh, because I, honestly, I think even though I'm more of a defensive kind of handgun shooter, uh, just my particular skill set, that's where I spend a lot of my world. But at the same time, I enjoy doing what we've been doing this weekend, shooting at longer distances, uh, I think there's a lot that can be learned. Uh, I think I think for me, having to pay more attention to my body, what I'm doing with it, how I'm holding that gun, uh, you know, all the correct mechanics, particularly when it comes to the trigger, stuff like that, I think that's helpful to me. Now when I pick up the handgun and go to shoot the handgun, it, it doesn't directly correlate, but there's correlation. Because at the end of the day, if the gun doesn't move and the sights are on the target, and you don't screw it up with the trigger, it's going to hit the target. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. Handguns are more sensitive to uh, trigger manipulation than a rifle is. Mm-hmm. Um, but a rifle is more sensitive to how you grip it and manipulate it than a handgun is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes right down to is we have multiple points of contact with a rifle, and we get overconfident in our abilities to take care mm-hmm. of that during the recoil. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. It's and it's a mindset. So, so what would you say about? Uh, let's talk about gripping a rifle. Sure. Um, so the the hand that actually actuates the trigger is the one you're going to put on the pistol grip, the 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 palm swell, whatever you've got on the rifle. And if you over grip that rifle, as you squeeze your trigger, you're going to torque that rifle to the right, usually, and usually it's right and down. So we start to see people that they start to group linear. And that's usually an overgrip issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you see guys get, get behind the gun and they're off to an angle. Well, you start to see groupings that are a uh, 45-degree angle up to the left or to the right, depending on how they're off. Mm. So it, they're letting that gun recoil. And during lock time, it's moving to the point of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're throwing that shot. And that's usually you watch a flyer. 
you got a guy that's got a nice four-shot group going. He's about ready to throw the fifth, and he'll throw a flyer. Mm. And that flyer is he got complacent and yeah. something in the mechanics. He overgripped the gun. He didn't. He, he adjusted his seat because he'd been sitting there for a while. Now he's out of position, and the gun free recoiled, and he threw a flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's ammunition. 99.9% of the time, it's operator. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not paying attention to what we're doing to the rifle during lock time. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a lot of listeners on this uh, podcast, I'm sure, that don't understand what you mean by lock time, ah, which okay. is probably different than when we talk about lock time, say, on a semi-automatic handgun. I don't know that it's all that different. Um, lock time for me in a firearm is when you engage the trigger, um, it disengages the sear, it, it engages a hammer, which strikes a firing pin, which engages the primer, which builds up pressure with ignited powder and spits that pill down the pipe. And that pill traveling down the pipe takes time. Yep. Now, in, in, in cartridges these days, it's not the old smoke pole. You know, it seems fairly instant. However, there is still time involved there. Mm-hmm. Um, and with rifle, it's more sensitive, in my opinion, because you have multiple points of contact with that stock uh, grip, shoulder, um, where the, your offhand is holding in the stock or up in the front. Um, all of those points of contact have a potential to manipulate the gun during lock time. Mm-hmm. Those multiple to- points of contact also allow for breath, heartbeat, um, those things that, that we don't necessarily pay attention to, and we should, because they are moving the gun. Mm-hmm. And just a mathematic example, one-eighth of an motion, one-eighth of an inch of a motion during lock time, and that could be as much as a deep breath and during the follow-through, okay? That motion will throw the shot off 24 inches at 1,000 yards. Yeah. And we don't know that we did it because it happened during the exciting part, the bang. Mm-hmm. So then we have to, have to diagnose that. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really hard unless you have somebody watching you do it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, the, the classic anticipation, you know, grip, flinch, smash in the tree or whatever, you know, when people do that on a handgun, it's very similar, right? They don't see it because, you know, as an instructor, I might stand back and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll look at their front sight and I'll pick a point, a rock, a uh, whatever in the distance beyond their front sight. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm aiming their gun as well. I'm standing there looking at the front sight, aligning it with something in the distance, just so I can see right as it goes bang, you see that bloop, that little dip. They don't see it because like you said, it happens right at that exciting time. Now, the more you get trained and, and, and your eye gets trained, you get, you, you know, like you get very aware of what's going on. You can see it. A trained shooter will start to see that themselves and recognize, ah, that was me. I jerked that shot down. Um, by the way, for the record, lock time, as I was thinking about it from a semi-automatic pistol perspective, is just simply the lock time, the time that that gun is locked, slide to barrel during the initial phase of recoil, which is a term used to describe that. See, that's why I'm like, I hear lock time. I'm thinking, what's the lock time of that gun? It's a timing thing on a semi-automatic. Sometimes you have reliability issues because maybe the timing of a gun gets you know out of whack based on ammunition choice or something. So this is really interesting hearing from you. Follow through, I think, is is really important. It's very important, right? Because that's kind of what we're touching on here. Because if you begin doing something too soon, too early, celebrating the shot, even, 
you're gonna you're gonna negatively impact things. I find that when guys violate the follow through, they are coming up out of the optic to try and see the mm. shot. Mm. Um, that's always a mistake because you're loosening your grip in lock time as it's recoiling and you're up out of the gun and you've affected that shot. Um, so follow through is very very important. And if you have to make a follow up shot, you are out of the optic and off target to be able to run the bolt and do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow through is critical. Yeah. It's one of those very basic tenets of accuracy. Yeah. And, and how would you describe follow through to particularly a, a learning shooter? Like what should they be thinking about or doing at the moment that shot breaks? When, when the shots breaks, stay in the optic, stay on target, try and watch the bullet make the impact. Yeah. Stay down on the gun. Yeah. Um, don't lift your head up. Don't take your hands off. Don't do anything different. Let that shot settle. Mm-hmm. Um, let that shot impact the target before you come up off the gun and manipulate the bolt or change magazine or mess with ammunition or even try and look down range. Stay on the gun. Mm-hmm. Let it happen. Yeah. Don't get all excited and try and see the shot down range. Yep. Yeah, that's really good advice, really critical advice. Um, all right. So let's talk real quick about some of your other products. Uh, just to throw this this out there and make people aware of some of these things. Now, uh, the L7, I'm fairly familiar with. I've had some time on the 1 to 6 power, right? Which is a really great 1 to 6, I might add. And, uh, you know, works very well. In fact, we were down on that star range with, uh, I think I spent quite a bit of time on Jason, the other Jason's uh, AR, uh, shooting that one plate, I think is at five or 600 yards and, you know, six power, just ping, 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 almost, you know, too easy. Right. So the L7, we've talked about the L5, uh, you've got the first focal plane. Which one's that one? That's our MLX. The MLX. It's four and a half to 18. First also focal plane. really sweet. Um, we are employing ED glass lenses in that, which are exceptionally clear. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's based in mills. So 10th mill turrets with a, a mill based reticle. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an exceptional piece. It really for the money that it is, um, it, it competes with things that are three times its price. Mm-hmm. Is that the one that Eve had on her? Yes. Yeah. And so looking through that thing, and I, I had the opportunity to put some rounds through that rifle, uh, Kadex Defense six point five Creedmoor, which is beautiful rifle. Oh my criminy! But it's got that that MLX uh, uh, optic on it. Wow. I mean, and, and watching everybody shoot that thing, I mean. Everybody got off that rifle. Both it's a smile both generator. Smiling because of the That's rifle, right. but I also think smiling a little bit because of the glass. Well, it, it, <laughs> it, good glass makes it so you don't get tired shooting it. Yeah. Uh, resolution, color accuracy, it's all an important critical factor. Yeah. Because in an environment like we were today, you're going to spend a lot of time behind some glass. Mm-hmm. And if it's not good, your eyes will be tired, mm-hmm. which turns into taking a nap early because your eyes are tired. Yeah. Um, we're in a desert environment. Your eyes are the first thing to get dehydrated and go. So if you don't stay hydrated, that glass is going to, a bad glass is going to amplify that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your other optics, uh, some of the the uh, non-variable ones. So what do you have there lineup-wise? So we, we step back and look at the red dot sites. Where we started out life is, is a red dot site company. Mm. Um, this year we're bringing out three new ones. Um, just to try and stay a little bit on the competitive side of the offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we are still going to carry the HD7. Um, it's still very popular. Um, we bringing in the new little Mo, which is an RMR style red dot sight. 
Um, we're going to bring in the new M7, which is a, an upgrade from our old M7 that we discontinued because we were knocked off and it just became a confusion in the marketplace. Mm. And then we're bringing in the new HDX, which is a PCC-driven um, optic. It's a mid-sized red dot, very robust, very durable optic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so three new optics coming in the red dot side for us as well. Um, then if we go to the observation side, uh, we have a new set of eight power binoculars. That are, The resolution on those are absolutely incredible. Uh, the 10 power binoculars, which are great, don't get me wrong, but for the two power magnification loss, the eights are so much brighter, mm. more crisper and clearer. It, you don't miss the two power that you will have lost in the tens. Yeah. Then we have the SC9, which is a small compact spotting scope running ED glass. We designed um, the binoculars and the spotting scope for the high altitude hunter. Mm-hmm. So they're super lightweight, as compact as they can be to offer the most performance possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the observation side, we will be bringing some new things in, like a 65 millimeter spot and scope, um, a set of compact binoculars in the coming years. Mm. So, there's some new stuff on the horizon as well on the observation yeah. side. Yeah, I'll tell you, that little spotting scope was uh, pretty impressive as well. I mean, you're right; it's not a very big package at all, but it's pretty big on performance. I mean, made it made it really easy to see and call shots for for our shooters. Well, I mean, people were seeing and calling shots at 1125 yards. Yeah, um, from a small 56 millimeter objective lens spotting scope. That's kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. It is exceptional for yeah. its performance. I, mean, I was watching my son shoot earlier today, and, and he pulled a shot uh, kind of down and just to the left of the foot on that white buffalo at 1,100 yards. I mean, being able to see him like like that was just off the edge of that foot. He's like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, really, really, exactly really easy Exactly where that use. shot went, Yeah, and you saw it with detail. Yep. Yeah, really good stuff, man. And, and again, what has been talked about before and, and continues to be talked about is you're big on performance, your your motto, on target and under under budget, which, I mean, what's what's the most expensive optic you have out of everything here? It's got to be the... The MLX. MLX, probably right? the most expensive optic there. I mean, it's probably also the most complex optic mm-hmm. there. Um, and what's the price on that bad boy? About seven hundred. See, that's and that's MSRP. There's that's very few your, people that are going to pay that. Highest end optic, and it's seven hundred bucks. That's I'm, crazy. I'm I've been doing this for a decade, and I'm here to tell you there is no reason on the planet that that gear has to be that expensive. Mm. Um, I would counsel anybody that's looking to get into shooting sports or is into shooting sports looking to get a new setup. Think about your budget hard. Get the gear that's right, and spend the excess you would have spent on, say, a two thousand dollar rifle scope. And invest it in ammunition and training. Get good at your craft. Mm-hmm. And if you want to upgrade later to a, a, a boutique brand name and, and pay a little bit more for not much more creature comfort, um, do it. But get yep. good at your craft first. Yep. Because you can't buy hits. There's no which way you try and slice it. Good gear is great, but unless you're good at your craft, you're just glitzy gear with bad misses. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. One thing that uh, James Yeager and I were talking about on the podcast uh, interview I did with him is how, I mean, you, you've built this company from the ground up and really done it kind of in a tradi- traditional way. Uh, and here's the other thing. We recognize that you are a shooter. And we could tell just listening and talking to you today. I mean, like, like you know how to sit somebody down with a rifle and teach them how to shoot. 
Like you, you really get it. You're not just somebody that's like, hmm, I wonder how I can make money today. Oh, I think I'm going to start an optics company. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was not the thought process. Not at all. You know, but it, it, yeah, you're right. I, I come to it from a practical application. And I insist that everybody that works at Lucid do the same. So when we do a product development evolution, nothing's done by accident. Mm-hmm. The, all the features and benefits that's put into uh, every piece we make, they're not there by accident. Everything there is for a reason. Yeah. And I, I think that resonates with my customer base. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of features we could have that a lot of competitors do, but for actual shooting, they just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, what's next for you? I mean, you talked about some new products coming up, but uh, do you have anything, I mean, even personally, uh, shooting-wise, competitive-wise, anything like that? I mean, anything I've got a, but For me, shooting-wise, my, my next stop is my, my home range, um, well, the club range locally is mm-hmm. not my home range because we have a private range, but my club range local at home is, is they've got their the final F-class match. Mm. And it's a mid-range challenge. So at this, they take the 300-yard NRA target and place it at six. Mm. And we run its best 10 shots for score. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I've got about 35 guys we get to go shoot with. And it's it's a fun match. There's no money involved. It's not even for anything other than just to go do it. Mm-hmm. But that's my next stop for shooting after I get done wrapping this ballistic summit up. And then it's for me to take a couple weeks and go hunting. Yeah. Um, antelope, deer, and elk are all tags in my pocket this year, and I'm going to fill the freezer up. Nice. Well, I hope to fill my freezer yeah. up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, yeah, by November, it's take about a week, catch my breath, and start preparing for shot show. Shot show. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, speaking of hunting, uh, what is your hunting setup? For let's say elk, you mean the gear that I take? Yeah, yeah. rifle, Some optic. Rifle. Yeah, what are you using? Um, I have a uh, old Remington Sendero rifle that I converted from 300 Ultra to a 26 nozzler mm-hmm. with a shilling barrel. Um, I have that topped with the L5 624 rifle scope, and uh, that 26 nozzler for me is the death stick. <laughs> Everything that I shoot at with it has died. Um, haven't. <laughs> I mean, I haven't too many rounds to it because it just, it does its job and you put mm-hmm. it away. Um, for example, last year I I shot six times and harvested six animals. Wow. So, and, and just put it, put it away. And so, 26 nozzler, elk, deer, antelope. All three. All three. All three yep. without yep. blinking. It's a, it's a little heavy handed for antelope, but I could play that game a little yeah. further out than some. Yeah. Um, and you don't feel like it's light at all in the elk, huh? Not at all. What are you using for for uh, bullet? I'm using a uh, 130 grain ELDX. Wow. Um, and it yeah. they penetrate just fine. They don't over penetrate. They don't they don't punch a hole. You dump most of that energy in the animal. Yeah. Um, it's and they very stay together ethical, at that very humane uh, kill um, at that velocity. Yeah. They do. Um, cool. And it you know I'm shooting 3250 with a 130 grain. So speed and that hydraulic shock on tissue is a big deal. Yeah. Um, but shot yeah. placement's even bigger. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with 130 grand 6.5 pill. Yeah. Nothing at all. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree. But uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, shot placement is king. And that's true. I mean, we're, we st- we talk most of the time on the podcast in the defensive realm. And shot placement is king. Every time. <laughs> uh, you know, defensive shooting. Um, 380. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with a 380. Yeah. In a defensive shooting world. 
Yep. It's going to make a, a bad guy have a bad day. Yeah. Period. It's not a nine. It's not a 45 or a 40. Mm -hmm. But it's also something that a newer shooter can control. Mm -hmm. They can learn the mechanics and get on target with it. Yep. Yep. There's no reason to step out and shoot the, the 10 millimeter right out of the <laughs> gate. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you there. Yeah. So it, it, I think it goes back to what you said just a few minutes ago as far as we got to make sure our skills are sharp, that That's they right. are where they need to be. If if our skills are good then and the equipment is quality, we're going to get the job done. That's right. But if our skills suck and it doesn't matter how awesome the equipment is. That's right. Yeah. You can't buy hits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate uh, the wonderful weekend we've had with you and your team here in uh, northern New Mexico at the, the Whittington Center. And, make, and, and I, I'm thankful to you for making it easy to put hits on target. Outstanding. Thanks for coming <laughs> And under <out>. budget. <laughs> That's right. Thank God. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate you. You bet. Have a good day.